This is the We the People, Our American Story podcast. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans, combat survivors, first responders, and American patriots in their own words. If you are pro-freedom and pro-America, you are in the right place. We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. There is no better feeling than knowing your family always has access to clean, safe drinking water. The CyberTech Ring A10 Atmospheric Water Generator is the answer to your peace of mind. The A10 generates clean, fresh drinking water out of humidity, creating up to 10 liters of drinking water each day. The A10 is environmentally friendly with a small footprint, a solar option for remote location, and eliminates bottled water. 36-month financing is available around $70 a month. Visit mywatersource.net. Use code PATRIOT, which in turn will help the We the People, Our American Story podcast reach more patriots. Cheers to clean drinking water and the Cybertech Ring A10 Atmospheric Water Generator. Yesterday, which was Sunday, I was watching on YouTube a conversation that Jordan Peterson had with, and I apologize if I pronounce this incorrectly, which I probably am most certainly going to, by the name of Yeonmi Park. Miss Park is from North Korea, and she certainly has a harrowing tale, a story that all Americans need to hear, because we need to be more grateful for this country that we live in and treat it with the respect it deserves and to stand up for the values that we hold dear. Yeonmi and her mother escaped from North Korea and made their way to China. And you would hope that this would be the end of the horrible experiences that they had, but it wasn't. Let me back up a little bit and tell you somewhat about the life that Yeonmi experienced, the life that she had in North Korea. Yeonmi's family included her father, mother, and an older sister. Things are tough in North Korea. I mean, tough. We do not even comprehend how bad it is there. I believe I heard Jordan Peterson say it was it's the UN, but I, I could be wrong on this, so forgive me if I am. But basically, to be above poverty in the world, people need to make $2 a day. This is throughout the world. In North Korea, people there make $2 a month. Every 30 days, they make $2. $2 to feed their family, to put a roof over their heads. Most have no electricity. There is no modern plumbing. And on top of that, you are punished severely if you try to sell or trade. Yeonmi's father was sent to a concentration camp because he was trying to take care of his family and he was caught trading in the black market, so to speak. And for this horrendous crime of trying to keep his family alive, he was sent to a concentration camp. Yeonmi talks about how in order for her to get protein, 
she ate dragonflies. She would burn them with a lighter and eat the dragonflies for protein. Spring, a time of rejuvenation to most people, was a season of death for the people in North Korea because there was no food to eat. People were in the streets dying. There were dead bodies in the street. And this small child saw it every day. In the conversation that she had with Jordan Peterson, Yeonmi wondered if she was some kind of a psychopath. Because when she saw these things that no one, let alone a child, should see, she felt nothing. As it turned out, Jordan Peterson told her that it was a classical symptom of shock. She was dead inside and she was protecting herself from the atrocities that she witnessed. And during this conversation, she was crying about her lack of emotion during that time. This is a story of a teenager who illegally crossed the border into China with her mother. Her father was still back in North Korea. They had been separated from her sister, if I'm remembering this correctly. I hope I am. I encourage all of you to go and watch this episode, Jordan Peterson on YouTube, or else to go to his podcast and listen to it. It's a must listen. So they cross the border. Things are sure to get better, right? But they're not. They don't get better. They are both sold as slaves. Yeonmi is raped. She becomes friends in a weird way with the person who she was sold to. Or I should say she became friendly. She became friendly with this man to help save her mother, to help bring her mother to her. Without her mother's life on the line, Yeonmi says she probably would have killed herself. Down the line, Yeonmi is able to wait, make her way to the United States. And let me just backtrack a little bit back to North Korea. She has endured so much pain. When her father is in the concentration camp, her mother has no choice but to leave Yeonmi and her sister for months at a time to try to work to get food. So Yeonmi and her older sister, I think by a couple of years, they are left by themselves. They go to school. But guess what you do at school? They went to school and were then sent out to collect poop. Human poop, animal poop, their own poop. You see, they had no money to buy fertilizer and the government was not going to give it to them. Poop was actually a high commodity because without it, you may die. There were no maps in the schools, had no idea what existed outside of North Korea. In fact, they were told that things were much worse outside of North Korea. And they were all revolutionaries working for the common good in North Korea. Calendars are not marked there by AC or BC, nothing about Christ. He has substituted. The calendars begin with Kim Il-sung. He is their master, their lord, their prophet. He is everything to them. You must not speak poorly about their leader. Because he is working tirelessly for his people. This is what she escaped from. 
And she only suffered more in China, in Mongolia, in the United States. She gets here, and this is completely disappointing for me to hear. She went to Columbia University. This young girl who had barely had an education, she became fascinated with education. And she devoted all her time to learning, to catching up. So much so that this girl who had been starving in North Korea forgot to eat because she was so enamored with learning. She goes to Columbia University and what happens there? She gets called out because she calls someone by the wrong gender. She can't in her brain understand the concept of calling someone they. It doesn't translate. And she has an instructor that is upset with her because she can't get it right. This is what happens when she comes to the United States of America. I was totally flabbergasted and upset to hear that this happened. And it's not right. Going along with this today, with this episode, I want to read you a talk that was given by a leader of my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was an apostle at the time, Ezra Taft Benson, an apostle like we consider the apostles in Christ's time, a special witness of Jesus Christ. And in fact, he eventually became a prophet of our church. Please do not let this dissuade you from listening to what I'm going to read to you. Because although he does mention members of our faith and how it pertains to members of my faith throughout the talk, there are many instances where he does not. I plead with every Christian, every Jew, every Muslim, every patriot, every non-affiliated spiritual person to listen to this talk and let it put a fire in you. It's been said many times by other leaders. I think Abraham Lincoln is probably the most famous for saying this in so many words, that we need not fear the enemies without, but it is the enemies within our country that will tear us apart. And we are in great danger of this today. We cannot let this happen. If you love America, if you love our principles, our values, if you believe this is a sacred place, which I do, please listen to this talk and let it put a fire in you to stand up and to say no more of this craziness. This is the greatest country on earth. And we must all do everything within our power to keep it so. My beloved brothers and sisters, humbly and gratefully, I stand before you today. I thank the Lord for the eternal principle of freedom, free agency, the right choice. I cherish patriotism and love of country in all lands. This morning, I speak about the Constitution of the United States, that glorious standard raised up by the founding fathers. I want to pay tribute to those who laid the foundation of our republic. I desire to bear testimony concerning one of the most vital principles that makes the work of the founders timeless and inspired. Every Latter-day Saint, every American 
should love the inspired constitution of the United States, a nation with a spiritual foundation and a prophetic history, which nation the Lord has declared to be his base of operations in these latter days. The framers of the constitution were men raised up by God to establish the foundation of our government. For so the Lord has declared by revelation in these words, Doctrine and Covenants 101, verse 80. I established the constitution of this land by the hands of wise men whom I raised up unto this very purpose and redeemed the land by the shedding of blood. Yes, this is a land fertilized by the blood of patriots. During the struggle for independence, nearly 9,000 of the colonist force were killed. Among those 56 patriots who had pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor by signing the Declaration of Independence, at least nine paid that price with their life's blood. At the close of the revolution, the 13 states found themselves independent, but then faced grave internal economic and political problems. The Articles of Confederation had been adopted, but proved to be ineffectual. Under this instrument, the nation was without a president ahead. There was a Congress, but it was a body destitute of any power. There was no Supreme Court. The states were merely a confederation. Washington wrote of the defects of this loose federation in these words. The fabric, which took nine years at the expense of much blood and treasure to now totters to the foundation, and without support, must soon fall. Because of the crisis, 55 of the 74 appointed delegates reported to the convention, representing every state except Rhode Island, for the purpose of forming a more perfect union. 39 finally signed the Constitution. Who were these delegates? Those whom the Lord designated wise men. They were mostly young men in the prime of their life, their average age being 44. Benjamin Franklin was the oldest at 81. George Washington, the presiding officer at the convention, was 55. Alexander Hamilton was only 32. James Madison, who recorded the proceedings of the convention with his remarkable notes, was only 36. These were young men, but men of exceptional character. Sober, seasoned, distinguished men of affairs drawn from various walks of life. Of the 39 signers, 21 of them were educated in the leading American colleges and in Great Britain. 18 were or had been lawyers and judges. 26 had seen service in the Continental Congress. 19 had served in the Revolutionary Army. 17 as officers. Four had been on Washington's personal staff during the war. Among the assembly of the 39 delegate signers were to be found two future presidents of the United States, one the father of this country, a vice president of the United States, a secretary of the treasury, a secretary of war, a secretary of state, two chief justices of the Supreme Court, and three who served as justices and the venerable Franklin, a diplomat, philosopher, scientist, and statesman. They were not backwoodsmen from far-off frontiers, not one of them. There has not been another such group of men in all 
the 200 plus years of our history that even challenged the supremacy of this group. President Wilfred Woodruff said they were the best spirits that God of heaven could find on the face of the earth. They were choice spirits. Following the drafting of the Constitution, it awaited ratification by the states. In 1787, three states ratified the Constitution. In the next year, eight more followed. And on April 6, 1789, the Constitution of the United States went into operation as the basic law of the United States when the Electoral College unanimously elected George Washington as the first president of the nation. This date, I believe, was not accidental. In the final analysis, what the framers did under the inspiration of God was to direct a document that merited the approval of God himself, who declared it to be maintained for the rights and protection of all flesh. The document has been criticized by some as outmoded, and even a recent president of the United States criticized it as a document written for an entirely different period in our nation's history. The eminent constitutional authority, President J. Reuben Clark Jr., has answered this argument in these words. These were the horse and buggy days, as they have been called in derision. These were the men who traveled in the horse-drawn buggies and on horseback. But these were the men who carried under their hats, as they rode in the buggies and on their horses, a political wisdom garnered from the ages. What those framers did can be better appreciated when it is considered that when the instrument went into operation, it covered only 13 states with fewer than 4 million people. Today, it adequately covers 50 states. The wisdom of these delegates is shown in the genius of the document itself. The founders had a strong distrust for centralized power in a federal government, so they created a government with checks and balances. This was to prevent any branch of the government from becoming too powerful. Congress could pass laws, but the president could check this with a veto. Congress, however, could override the veto and by its means of initiative in taxation could further restrain the executive department. The Supreme Court could nullify laws passed by the Congress and signed by the president, but Congress could limit the court's appellate jurisdiction. The president could appoint judges for their lifetime with the consent of the Senate. Each branch of the government was also made subject to different political pressures. The president was to be chosen by electors, senators by state legislators, representatives by the people, and the Supreme Court by the president with the consent of the Senate. All this was deliberately designed to make it difficult for a majority of the people to control the government and to place restraints on the government itself. The founders created a republic which Jefferson described as action by the citizens in person in affairs within their reach and competence and in all others by representation. A study of the basic principles which undergird the document would be profitable for all Americans during this bicentennial year. This was written in 1976. When James Russell Lowell was asked how long will the American Republic endure, he replied, as long as the ideas of the men who founded it continue dominant, may I comment on one of the most vital ideas and principles. 
constitutional government as designed by the framers will survive only with a righteous people. Our constitution, said John Adams, first vice president and second president, was made only for a moral and religious people. Let that sink in. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. America, North and South, is a choice land, a land reserved for God's own purposes. This land and its inhabitants are under an everlasting decree. The Lord revealed this decree to the brother of Jared, an American prophet, in these solemn words. And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, that it is a land of promise, and whatsoever nations shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them where they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off, for it is the everlasting decree of God. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nations shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all nations under heaven, if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ. The Lord has decreed that this land should be the place of the new Jerusalem, which should come down out of heaven, the holy sanctuary of the Lord. Here is our nation's destiny to serve God's eternal purposes and to prepare this land and people for America's eventual destiny. The Lord established the constitution of this land by the hands of wise men whom he raised up to this very purpose. Many Americans have lost sight of the truth that righteousness is the one indispensable ingredient to liberty. Perhaps as never before in the history of our country is the nation collectively deserving of the indictment pronounced by Abraham Lincoln in these words. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins. And at this time, Lincoln was talking about the sin of slavery and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Unless we as citizens of this nation forsake our sins, political and otherwise, and return to the fundamental principles of Christianity and of constitutional government, we will lose our political liberties our free institutions, and will stand in jeopardy before God of losing our exaltation. I say to you that the price of liberty is and always has been blood, human blood. And if our liberties are lost, 
We shall never regain them except at the price of blood. They must not be lost. Yes, I repeat, righteousness is an indispensable ingredient to liberty. Virtuous people elect wise and good representatives. Good representatives make good laws and then wisely administer them. This tends to preserve righteousness. And unvirtuous citizenry tend to elect representatives who will pander to their covetous lustings. The burden of self-government is a great responsibility. It calls for restraint, righteousness, responsibility, and reliance upon God. It is a truism from the Lord that when the wicked rule, the people mourn. As presiding officer of the Constitutional Convention, George Washington appealed to the delegates in these words, Let us raise a standard to which the wise and honest can repair. Wise and honorable men raise that glorious standard for this nation. It will also take wise and honorable men to perpetuate what was so nobly established. A citizen of this republic cannot do his duty and be an idle spectator. How appropriate and vital it is at the time of our nation's 200th birthday to remember this counsel from the Lord. Honest men and wise men should be sought for diligently and good men and wise men should observe to uphold. Goodness, wisdom, and honesty are the three qualities of statesmanship. Qualities this country needs more than ever before. May we be wise, prayerfully wise, in the electing of those who would lead us. May we select only those who understand and will adhere to constitutional principles. To do so, we need to understand these principles ourselves. In 1973, the First Presidency of the Church made public this statement. We urge members of the church and all Americans to begin now to reflect more intently on the meaning and importance of the Constitution and of adherence to its principles. May I urge every Latter-day Saint and all Americans in North and South America to become familiar with every part of this document. Many of the constitutions of countries of South America have been patterned in large measure after that of the United States. We should understand the Constitution as the founders meant that it should be understood. We can do this by reading their words about it, such as those contained in the Federalist Papers. Such understanding is essential if we are to preserve what God has given us. I reverence the Constitution of the United States as a sacred document. To me, its words are akin to the revelations of God. For God has placed his stamp of approval on the Constitution of this land. I testify that the God of heaven selected and sent some of his choicest spirits to lay the foundation of this government as a prologue to the restoration of the gospel and the second coming of our Savior. May God bless us to protect the sacred instrument. In the words of the prophet Joseph Smith, may these principles which were so honorably and nobly defended, namely the constitution of our land by our fathers be established forever. For this I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, this talk was given almost 50 years ago during the bicentennial year of this great country. How much more are these words applicable today? How much worse has it become? Be the answer, be the solution. Teach your children, teach your family, 
that this country is worth fighting for. Study the Constitution, study the Declaration of Independence, and know what they are about. They are vitally important. They are the cornerstones to this great country. Thank you for sticking with me today through this. I could not help but to talk about this today because I am passionate about the Constitution, the Declaration. I am passionate about standing up for this country, and I hope that all of us can find it within ourselves that though you may be afraid, that you can stand up and quit the nonsense. Next week, my guest is John Ferguson. You may recognize the name because John was on once before talking about the southern border and what his mission is down there. John has a very complex story to share. I asked him to come back so that he could share the rest of his story with us. Please join me next week to hear the rest of John's story. It is remarkable. Thank you for listening to this episode of Another Fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country. 